uh, hopefully the uh, welcome team when you arrived here at least picked you up a little bit as they gave you the excellent welcome that the guys do at the back there. Do you know, once me and Anna were invited to, to somebody's house for dinner, no one here for who I tell this story, so don't panic, wasn't you, okay? And uh, we got invited to this person's house and it was during a really, really busy time. And uh, so, but we thought, no, it's important we see them so we should go. So we sort of literally said, yeah, we can do this date, and we sort of squeezed our diary around that. Not didn't tell them that, but we did so that we could go and see them. Well, we got to the door of the house, and like, yep, come in. No, no welcome, no, how are you? Sort of walked off into the kitchen, so we sort of, okay, we'll follow them through. Got into the, into the kitchen where the table was uh, set for dinner, and they were there bashing around with pots and pans and not really talking to us, and so me and Anna sort of looked at each other and said, um, can, can, can we help at all? Thinking, oh, they're probably a bit, bit stressed. And uh, no, no, it's fine, I'm fine, thank you. And uh, so, we, you know, we started trying to make conversation with this, this person and the answers were, yep, no, you know, sort of closed answers, basically. And all, all during the mealtime, it was like this as well. And then afterwards, this, uh, this lady made it very clear that we, we weren't welcome and that we should almost be, be going. And me and Anna sort of left scratching our heads, being a little bit confused, thinking... You invited us here. You actually pursued us to check. Are you still coming? Like, yeah, okay. And, and yet, when we came here, you didn't make us feel welcome at all. Contrast that with my nan and granddad, who, when we were growing up, they, they lived in Romford, we used to travel up to see them. Do you know, my dad never told them, or hardly ever told them when we were coming up to stay with them. He just used to like to surprise. He would check. He would check they didn't have lots of things planned. Um, but, uh, but we would just turn up on the door, and they would be so pleased to see us. Ah, oh, come in, come in. Bacon sandwiches would be made for us. Sweets and cups of tea would be on endless supply. When me and my, my brother got a bit older and we started smoking, cigarettes were on endless supply. That's not a good thing, by the way, but uh, that's just what, what happened. Cigarettes were on endless supply for us, and, uh, and the longer we could stay, the better it was for, uh, for, for them. They knew how to welcome us, and it wasn't just because we were their grandchildren. Actually, any of their friends who lived away could do the same, and they would welcome them in the same way. The reason I tell you those two stories is because we serve a God who welcomes people and he wants us to actively welcome all to come and experience Christ's transforming love amongst us. He wants us to be a church who is warm and friendly towards new people and those marginalized in society. So I'm going to look at four areas with you today. Well, I'm going to look at two, and Tom's going to look at two with you. I'm going to look at how we serve a welcoming God who, um, who has called us to be a welcoming people. And as we're a welcoming people, we need to welcome in the community around us. But as we do that, we also need to make sure that we have a welcome that protects the vulnerable amongst us. So that's the four areas we're going to look at today. I'm going to do the first one and the last one, and then Tom's going to come up and do the, the middle two for us. So ultimately, we're called to be a welcoming people because we serve a welcoming God. If you think about the gospel message um, uh, that, the, that, we, that we preach, the gospel message is an invitation from a holy God 
to undeserving people like you and me. Listen to these wonderful words from the book of Romans, chapter 5, starting in verse 6. It says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You know, we are not worthy of God. You need to understand that. You need to understand that Paul, in the first three chapters of the book of Romans, has been outlined the fact that none of us are righteous before God. None of us are good enough for God or to please God. In fact, we are all sinful in his sight. And yet, because of God's great love for you, and because of God's great love for me, he sent Jesus to die for us. Turn to the person next to you and say, God loves you. It's true. Do you know, it's true for every single person on this planet We're not worthy of God, and yet he loves us. Now, most of you might not view yourself, hang on a sec, I'm not an enemy of God. Or look back at your past and think, oh, I wasn't an enemy of God, was I? But the Bible is actually very clear that outside of Christ, we are not neutral, we are hostile, we are enemies to God, both consciously and unconsciously, his enemy. You see, everything that the Bible calls sin, everything that the Bible says is wrong, is something that goes against God personally. So we'd all say, ah, stealing, that's, that's wrong. Yeah, stealing, that, that's wrong. But why, if I steal something, is that wrong before God? Why, why does he care about it? Well, the truth is, God owns absolutely everything. And everything that you have or everything that I have, is only given to us by God himself. So if I come along and I take something like this, Chris's phone here, actually it's nicer than mine, I'll keep that, then I'm taking something that belongs to Chris, that God has given to Chris, and making it my own. I'm actually, ultimately, robbing God, so I better not do that. I wouldn't do it to you anyway, Chris, but uh, otherwise you might not lead worship so well for us, but, uh, but uh, no, you see, ultimately, all sin is personal to God. And you know, the truth is, it's not just in the things that we do, that's in the things that we say to and in the way we think as well. And so if you do an honest evaluation of yourself on any any given day, even your best days, you can realise, okay, yeah, there is a problem within myself. I know that I am not good enough by myself to be in God's presence. And yet, even in that state, the wonderful truth that we rejoice in as Christians is that God 
made a way for us to be reconciled with him, for our relationship with God to be restored. It's such a wonderful privilege that Jesus himself, on the cross, took the punishment for all the things that we have done, all the things that we have said, all the things that we have thought that were wrong. He paid, he faced God's wrath for that, so that we can not only receive his righteousness when we put our trust in him. So when God looks at you now, and when God looks at me, we are righteous in his sight. But that actually we're then free to know God. Before, we didn't know God. We, we might have uh, known there's something there, but we didn't know him. But when we put our faith in Jesus, we get to know him and get to enjoy him forever, the Bible tells us. And you know, this offer, this offer of the gospel message that we Christians have is open to absolutely everyone. If they're still breathing, the offer is good for them. Now, regardless of what they've done, they could be the, you know, we sing that great hymn, don't we? The vilest offender. The moment believes a pardon from Jesus, uh, he receives. I've got it wrong there, but anyway. It's a while since we've sung that one, so I have to sing it again. I can, I can put it in order then. But actually, no matter what they've done in the past, no matter what age they are, what background they're from, what uh, sexual orientation that they currently have, what religious background that they come from, all can receive God's love. Whether you've been a choir boy or a convict, whether you've been a girl guide or a lady of the night, whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All are welcome And indeed, God bids to everybody, welcome, come, come into my presence. You don't need to sort yourself out, and your friends don't need to sort themselves out before they come to God. They come to God to get sorted out. In fact, it's one of the signs that someone has truly put their faith in Jesus, is that he changes you so much because he puts his spirit inside of you and causes you to want to live for God that actually you start wanting to live to please him and that you start listening to what his word says and following what's in the Bible. Because Jesus could say to his disciples, actually, if you love me, you will obey my commands. It's part, and part of what this welcoming God wants us as his people to do is to tell people from all these different backgrounds about this wonderful message without compromising our faith, without compromising who God has called us to be. You see, we've been given the message of reconciliation. There's something there that needs to be restored between God and people. People cannot approach God on their own terms or in their own right. Actually, as the Bible makes clear, if we try to do that, we come under God's judgment because we are sinful, all of us. By, by nature, we are. They need to be put right with God because he loves them. He made a way through Jesus. And Jesus could say to them, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one can come to the Father but through me. And as Christians, you see, we mustn't shy away from this truth. It's why we regularly teach it, we regularly repeat it. We have, to, we have to know it and we have to share it with people because there's no other way for anyone to get right with God. Where there was no way, God made a way 
through Jesus Christ. What man could not do for God, God did through the man, Jesus Christ, in making a way of salvation for all of us. God is completely inclusive. Everybody is welcome. Everybody, he wants to come, but it's to come through Jesus and to come on Jesus' terms, not ours. For the Bible can say, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So all are welcome, and we must welcome all, but we're welcoming them and pointing them towards Jesus and encouraging people to surrender and put Jesus first in their life. Ultimately, that, that is the uh, ultimate reason for all the sin and evil in the world anyway, isn't it? That we, we, we dethrone God of, the, of our life and said, I want to do it my way, rather than saying, God, I'm going to do it your way. But because God is good... He has a plan for you. And his plan is good. The Bible says, Jesus says, I have come to bring life in all its fullness. Yes, there's disappointments as Christians. Yes, there's, uh, there's times where we get confused. At, God, what are you doing? Why is this happening to me? But we can trust the one who, while we were still sinners, while we were his enemies, he died for us and made a way so that we could come into his presence rather than be banished from his presence for all eternity. Now I'm going to invite Tom up here who's going to share with us how we as Christians are called to imitate our Heavenly Father. So let's give him a welcome as he, uh, as he comes up here. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be up here speaking with you guys this morning. Um, thanks, Sai. I want to uh, explore this morning what it means to be a welcoming people and what might hold us back from being more like Jesus. And then I'd like to look at what it means to be welcoming in the community and how Jesus perhaps challenges us to take more time for people in our day-to-day -day living. My first question for you, think, think, think about this, is um, am I dressed appropriately for church this morning? Am I wearing what you would expect a churchgoer to wear? And if not, why not? Because I think part of being a welcoming people is understanding what cultural background we bring to relationships and what cultural background people bring to the relationships we have with them. If we look at the first slide, Phil. Okay, it will be a slide with some tier fund things on it. So tier fund did some research in 2007, and this won't be news to people, but um, what they found out is that people that go to church are of a higher social status. That's how it's perceived. So regardless of where we sit this morning and where we come from, we are perceived to be middle class. That's, that's what the world sees us to be. We just contrast that with Hailsham, which is the next. Yes, that was interesting as well. Um, so the Hailsham figures 
It's amongst the 10% most deprived area in East Sussex. These are Wealdon District Council figures from 2012. Nearly half of Hailsham is on low income, deprived working class. The UK figure for working class is 57%, but I would actually say that Hailsham is probably more like 60 or 70% working class. So in terms of what we're perceived to be and what we're expecting to people to be you know, dressed and look like as they come through the door, they might be two different things. Our first impressions influence the way we interact with people, and being middle class isn't the issue, it's just how we're perceived. So that could be the way someone dresses, or the way they smell, are they wearing aftershave, are they not wearing aftershave? How are they talking? Do they talk with a guttural stop, or with a glottal stop? You know, what region are they from? What house do they own? All these things influence what we think about people. And I felt like it was about a year ago, but God really put his finger on me. I was standing in the queue at the BP in Hailsham, and there was this guy in front of me, and he was like Chris Large tall, but broad, really broad, wearing a vest, and uh, kind of shaved head and tattoos on his neck, big gold earring, and he kind of just emanated maybe aggressiveness, and I was just kind of weighing up, you know, I wonder where he's from, wonder what job he does. And as he turned to pay and looked over his shoulder, and I looked in his eyes, and I just saw his hopes and dreams and tenderness and I felt like God really convicted me in that moment because God sees the person and who they will be, not the outward appearance. The world says to us, first impressions are everything. If you go to a job interview, you've got to make a good first impression. First impressions will last your whole life. But that leads me to ask you again, what was God's first impression of you when you first came to him? Because that's actually quite hard for me to think about. Who I was then and who I am now are two radically different people, praise God. And I thank God that he was so gracious and merciful with me to look past those first impressions. We read in Romans chapter 15, verse 7, it says, Therefore, therefore being the application of serving and loving other people, as he was, Paul was just saying. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I love that. When Jesus welcomed me into his family 15 years ago, there was no prejudice about what I wore. There was just the gift of a spotless robe in exchange for my filthy rags. There was no preconception about my speech and my conduct. There was just the promise that, warts and all, I was accepted by him. And as I embraced him for the first time, he made no comment on my odour, but he whispered in my ear that if I follow him, I will be more and more a fragrant offering to God. So, friends of Jesus this morning, let's see far, past our first impressions of people and choose to greet people as Christ greets us. Once we've got our first impressions of people in the bin, what does being a welcoming church look like? I find it interesting that as we welcome people here on a Sunday morning, literally two things happen, and we see this in scripture. I think we're on slide three now. Um, there's a physical greeting of people. We literally approach people and we say hello, but something spiritual happens. And we read this in Acts 9, verses three to five, and it says, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. 
And suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, this is Saul, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So Jesus was persecuted by Saul's action on the church, right? And then in Matthew 25, verses 37 to 40, Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, so you did it to me. So we can see that our actions on people have a spiritual reality as well as a physical reality. And so when we physically greet someone here on a Sunday morning and make them feel welcome, which for someone like Phil Rear is going to be a brotherly kiss, you know, or a warm embrace. But for most normal people, it would be a handshake, you know, whatever's appropriate. But we also get to spiritually greet Jesus. That is actually what's happening. I just think that's incredible. If we let that sink in, we get to greet Jesus spiritually on a Sunday morning. That's amazing. It's no wonder there's always a muet on the scene when someone walks in. It's because they know that they're greeting Jesus. And actually, there should be a rush to the visitor's table. Yeah, we should seek out people we don't know and welcome them because that's welcoming Christ. Include them in our social activities, what we're doing. Invite them for dinner. Introduce new people into our friendship groups. I think strong friendships are fantastic and a gift from God. But let's just be aware of cliques. Don't be exclusive. Invite new people and pull new people into that new friendship and and open it up. Let's show the people who walk into church the meaning of what it is to be welcomed as Christ welcomes us, without prejudice, all inclusive. Now we have a better understanding of what it means to be a welcoming people. Let me ask you another question. What does it look like to be welcoming in the community and in your community? Because I wasn't sure about this one and I spent just a little bit of time thinking about it and praying about it and just God gave me this strong picture of an allotment. Who has an allotment here? Just ask who, does anyone run an allotment? A couple of you. But we all know what an allotment is and in this picture there were huge great cabbages and huge great leeks growing on beautifully tilled earth and organized plots And I felt like God was saying that being welcoming in the the community is exactly like running an allotment. It's time-consuming. It's well-planned and prioritized. It's well-looked after. Its needs are met and it's cared for. And it bears fruit. This applies to how we greet people day to day and this is how we should see our relationships with each other. We just see our, our street neighbors as little allotment plots. That one's overgrown with thistles and needs a bit more time and care. This one's sick and needs a bit more attention. This one's bearing fruit because I've been investing in this for years. So I wanted to encourage us to not be a people that are ruled by the clock, not flying out the door at seven o'clock in the morning, a quick hello to the neighbor, leave five minutes earlier and find out where they're going for the day and what's going on in their life. I think Jesus models this really well. I'm running out of space here. I'm just going to read to you um, Luke 8:40. 40. 
Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. Lots of people. And, they, there, and there came a man named Jarius, who was a ruler of the synagogue. So this guy's big cheese, okay? And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him, so he's begging, to come to his house, for he had, only, he had an only daughter who was about 12 years of age, and she was dying. So literally, one of the most important people comes out, falls on his feet, I've only got one daughter, she's only 12, and she's dying. So Jesus is on it. I mean, if Jesus was ever on the clock, this is the moment. And as Jesus went, the people pressed him around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? So he stops in this moment and asks, who touched me? He wants to find out. And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But he insists and he says, someone touched me for I perceive that the power has gone out for me. The meanwhile, a girl is dying, right? And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came out trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him. So she's having a conversation with him on the street. He's having a dialogue with her. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came out of the ruler's house and said, your daughter's dead. So he's lingering in the street, chatting to this woman, and the daughter dies. That's, that's a terrible use of time. He should have gone to the daughter first, right? No, because Jesus is on a different clock. He sees what his father wants, and he does that over and above what the world is telling him to do and what the world thinks he should be doing. And I find that really interesting because we can so quickly excuse ourselves from being brief and curt and short with people because we've always got somewhere to go. We've always got places to be. And for those of you that do have an allotment, if you don't make time for it, it's just going to be a patch of weeds. It's never going to bear any fruit. Kind of the opposite of this. I don't know if anyone has seen 24. It's one of my favourite kind of TV programmes. There's protagonist Jack Bauer. He's always racing against the clock. Seconds count. He's always in a rush. And there's never any time to spare. Everyone else dictates his schedule because he's got to be in certain places. Jesus, and it does pain me to say this, but Jesus was not like Jack Bauer. He made time for people when there wasn't any time. He prioritised things other people wouldn't prioritise. And this, uh, this occurred to me last week. I was, was in the woods. I was chatting to this guy who was make, a bow maker, actually. He was making some bows. And I just got off the phone to Sarah. I said, I'll be home for lunch. It'll be about 20 minutes. And I said goodbye to the guy. And he said, oh, what are you doing this weekend? I thought, um, I'm going to church this weekend. He said, oh. And, then, and we got talking. And I made myself 40 minutes late for lunch. Lunch was cold. It was in the oven. And Sarah, bless her, she was gracious with me. But I got to share the gospel with this guy. We got talking about God. And it just, it was, a, it was an awesome experience. But it made me late. And I think there's a challenge here that I'd love to leave with you is to make yourself late talking to a neighbour this week. Yeah, as you're, as you're leaving, as you're just going, just linger. Get through that first kind of, hello, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. And then you're gone. That Britishness, I can't stand that. Imagine if you said, how are you? It's like, I'm actually really terrible. I've had an awful week. Have you got time? Hmm. Wasn't expecting that. But let's expect it. Let's ask for it. Let's pray into it. 
If they're sick, let's bring them meals. If they're lonely, let's go and pray with them and sit with them. Just before I hand back to Sai, there's a quote here from C.S. Lewis, who says it a lot better than I do. It may be possible for each to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter. It is hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Thanks, Sai. Thanks, Tom. That's great. Challenging stuff there. To welcome each other, we could be welcoming God and to welcome in the community around us. The final point I wanted to bring out is actually a word of caution, and it's a welcome that protects is what what I've called it, Uh, because Jesus makes it very clear to us, doesn't he? He says, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. So we're called to imitate God and to be a welcoming people, welcoming all uh, amongst us, yet we're not called to throw out wisdom in how we welcome those around us. Jesus recognizes that he is sending us out amongst wolves. There are people that have no regard for you. They have no regard for your marriage, your family, or your possessions as, as well. And we have to be wise in how we demonstrate the welcome and love of God to people around us. In a public place like this, actually, it's all fairly safe. Although there was a church for a while in, in Bournemouth that Anna and I went to, and uh, we used to call, every, they had a big space at the front, and we used to call everyone up to, to worship. Um, but because we had a load of people from sort of the drug rehab scene uh, there uh, as well, we actually started having to say to women, and could you bring your handbags up with you as well, or just in case things go missing, because things did start to go uh, missing during that, that time. But, uh, you know, actually you're fairly safe in this, in this I- environment. But, you know, in other settings, you can't just hope God will protect you and throw caution to the wind. Actually, God has given you a brain and God has warned you 
in his word as well. So he's already given us a little bit of a hint there of what we need to be. The serpent in the ancient world represented shrewdness and cunning. And it would have kind of shocked the disciples as they heard Jesus say, be as wise as serpents. Because again, the serpent is often seen as, as evil and you know, even more so back then. So they'd have been, what are you saying, Jesus? But he then qualifies it by saying, but as innocent as doves. The dove being a symbol of purity and innocence. So he's not saying that we are called to be devious and deceitful in how we go about welcoming people, but we're called to be careful and clever and innocent in ourselves. But how we go about uh, welcoming people and showing people the love of God that God has for them. And of course, this will be different depending on your circumstances, depending on your stage of life. And depending on your character as well, that will have a big impact on how you can welcome people, as I already alluded to. And uh, Anna and I used to lead a life group back in Bournemouth. Actually, um, we very quickly came to the realisation that we had to bring in a rule that we wouldn't let any men uh, into the house when I wasn't there. Often didn't get back to work till, you know, from work till half seven, quarter to eight, and then life group started at quarter to eight. And one time I came back, and Anna was in the kitchen talking to this guy, and she had a knife in her hand, and she was pointing it towards him. She was talking friendly, but, you know, clearly sort of saying, don't come any closer. Because actually, I got, I got back from work late and left her in a very vulnerable situation and the, it wasn't, wasn't appropriate and we had to start saying actually no we can't let people into our house without me being there uh, because you know it left her, her vulnerable when I worked at JP Morgan and the council for the 14 year period that I worked there I would regularly go out to lunch with people with the aim of sharing the gospel with my friends. But you know, during that 14 year period, I can count on one hand the number of times that I went out to lunch with a woman by myself. I just didn't do it. I didn't go there because I know of too many stories where one thing led to another, which led to another, which was never supposed to happen, or rumors started. So I went, you know, in group settings I would do that, but not, not by myself. For you, things will be different. You need to work out what's right for you. For those of you who are parents here, your children must never be left vulnerable in any situation that you are. Remember that Jesus is clear. He says there's not just wolves out there, but there's also wolves in here, in sheep's clothing as well. Because the church is a loving place, because the church is a welcoming place, and we welcome all, and we, and we believe that God transforms people with, with his power, and we, we, we encourage to think the best of people as well which we which we should do it doesn't mean that we don't put appropriate boundaries in place to protect yourself to protect your marriage to protect your children to protect your aged parents if they live with you please lord hopefully not me but uh, uh, <laughs> I, no I, i'd happily look after my aged parents if uh, on anna's aged parents if we had to but, uh, but I'm sure there'll be other volunteers beforehand. <laughs> That's on record now, isn't it? Oh dear. Can you wipe that bit from the tape? <laughs> so, um, but you know, it, you, you have to look after them as well. And you have to look after your family time as well. Don't allow other people's problems to cause a problem within your own family. You know, sometimes you can be so busy sorting out everyone else's problems 
that actually your kids are left desperate for time with mum and dad or time with you. Don't allow other people's problems to cause a problem in your own family. Our first calling as Christians after God and after living for God is that we look after our family. You're in it together. God has given you your family. You're called to welcome people together. They need to be in a position to do that, not desperate for mum and dad's attention. So what I'm saying is, as we look to increasingly welcome people in amongst us and welcome in the community and and serve our community, let's make sure we do that with wisdom and in a way that protects the vulnerable amongst us. You see, because God wants us to be a people who actively welcome all to come and experience Christ-transforming love amongst us. A church, to be a church that is warm and friendly, particularly to new people and those that are marginalised in society. And we highlight that because Jesus himself highlights that, that we should look after the stranger and those that are, that are weak and poor and vulnerable in society. And we want to be those sorts of people, don't we? Amen. God wants to do this increasingly in us. And as he grows us and as he causes us to have more influence in the community around us, we need to be aware of these things. We need to be intentional about about welcoming people, but we need to do it in a wise and a careful way. I'm going to close there. I'm going to invite the the band back up in just one second. And... um, to, to lead us in a song. I'm going to pray for us all generally, actually, because there's a sense in which all of us can grow in this area. All of us can uh, uh, improve in this area um, of, of welcoming people, apart from maybe the Muets. They just uh, seem to excel at it. But you know, they, they could probably pray for you. Go and see them get prayer for them afterwards as well. But I just wanted to give an offer to people here this morning as well. People here who don't know Jesus, who haven't received that welcome that is on offer for them from God. And as I was sharing the, uh, the gospel hope and the gospel message with you here this morning, and you, and you listened to it, and thought, actually, I've never invited God in. I've never said sorry for the things that I've done. I've always thought I'd be all right, but now I realize, okay, according to the Bible, I'm not, and I, I need, to, need to do something about that. I'm just going to ask you to pray a prayer along with me. So can I just ask everyone to, to bow their heads and close their eyes? If you're here this morning and you know you're not in a right place with God and you want to receive his forgiveness, you want to receive his welcome here amongst us this morning, can I just ask you to raise your hand nice and high and then in your heart you can pray this prayer along with me. If you're here this morning, just just do that. Raise your hand now while no one else is looking. It's between you and God. Nice and high. And then I'll uh, I'll lead you in a prayer of uh, acceptance before God and he will welcome you into his presence. Okay. Okay. But if if you, uh, afterwards, you want to talk to me more about that, then please please do. But uh, let me just pray for all of us. If you just want to put your hands out before God, because God is a welcoming God, and he loves you enough to send Christ to die for you, and he loves your neighbor, and he loves your family member 
that doesn't know Jesus. And he loves your friends and your work colleagues and the people that you that are down your street that you don't even know. And he wants us to be a welcoming people that welcome many into his presence and into friendship with him. So Lord Jesus, I pray, would you have your way amongst us? Lord, thank you that you came. You didn't just stay in heaven. You came and lived amongst us, Lord God, and you welcomed us into your presence. You made a way so that we could know you. Lord, you were intentional in what you did. And Lord, I pray for us as individuals here. Lord, would you help us to be a people that, that welcome those around us, those that you put across our path, even the strangers that we bump into in the street, Lord God. May we be a friendly people that share something of your love and your goodness and cause many to be welcomed into your kingdom. Would you do that amongst us, I pray, Lord? Would you do that in us, Lord? Would you change something in our hearts, Lord God? To, as Tom was saying, have that just bit of time to not be rushing around so busy doing what we're doing, but focused on the people that you're putting around us. So, Lord, change us, I pray. Help us to be more and more like you. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a sermon from Christchurch Hailsham. For more information or to contact us, visit ChristchurchHailsham.org.